What's good, y'all? My name is Jonathan Dumas, and this is the Real Talk with Dumas podcast, where I have real conversations with the people I see every day because we don't know what we miss until we miss them. And y'all, I am really excited for this week's guest, but as always, got to get um, to some logistical things first um, on ways on how you can support the show besides how you're listening right now. So number one is like, subscribe, share, leave a review. It really helps folks discover the show. Follow RTWD on all socials at RTWD Podcast. And then finally, join the Real Fan Patreon page by financially supporting the show. You are literally helping run the show. I appreciate um, all of those who are a part of the Real Fam and a big shout out to y'all. All right, now on to my guest. This week, I am joined by Jeff Perry. Jeff is the founder and designer of Discover Our Play, where he combines positive psychology and play to help teams and organizations create psychologically safe workplaces and assist individuals in addressing their biggest challenges through embracing a play-oriented approach to work. Y'all, I love an opportunity to nerd out on all things organizational psychology, culture, leadership, etc. And Jeff is the perfect person to do that with. Uh, Jeff and I talk about how we he got into this work, what play means to him, the positive psychology around play, and, and why we all should do ourselves a favor and discover our play. This conversation was dope, and I can't wait for you to listen to it. All right, y'all, here's Jeff. Jeff, what is up, man? How you doing? Let's go. I'm excited about this, Jonathan. <laughs> Let's do this. Yes, 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 yes. Um, so, Jeff, I do this all the time. I know I read a bio, but I would love for you yeah. to just like introduce yourself to the real fam. Who is Jeff? Yeah, so let me tell my Batman origin story. I'll be quick yes. with it. But um, uh, I saw the movie Big when I was a kid with Tom Hanks, and it was all about mm-hmm. like a kid who wished he was big. Um, and in that movie, he got to play with toys for a living. Like that was his job. And I was in third grade, and I saw that, and I was like, "That's a job." And I literally went home, hopped on my word processor and um, not my word, well, you know, a word processor. And I literally started writing toy companies um, and I just didn't stop. Like and I kept mm. writing them all throughout junior high, high school, most of the time just getting rejections. I think sometimes they thought I was like an adult writing because I was like <laughs> typing these out. Um, yep. And I eventually got into the toy industry in my like 20s. And I don't know if you've ever gotten exactly what you've always wanted and then been so disappointed when you get there. But I was like in a cubicle, it was just like cubicle walls. It was like no fun, no play, no high fives, no kids, no toys. We're at a toy company, no toys. So I'm like, what am I doing? I'm in New York. And then I was like, I'm out. I left, came to the San Francisco Bay Area. Um had no idea what to do with my life, had my little quarter life crisis and went on Craigslist, which is always a shady, but lovely. Yes. <laughs> right. And I found yep. a job that was teaching kids engineering with Lego. You literally mm. were playing for a living. And I was like, this yeah. is what I want to do. I want to play for a living. And it was only seven people at the time, but you know, you know, we were able to like just nerd out and I helped grow it into a, one of the largest Lego inspired STEM organizations like in the U S and we went from seven people Mm. to 400 people. Um, and we did it all by playing. Like we had no business plan. We picked cities. We thought were fun. We picked people. We thought were fun. We failed all the time. Like we Mm. didn't know what we were doing majority of the time. And, but we got in it, we got the attention of Silicon Valley because we were in the Bay area, you know, Mm. so companies like Google, Facebook, 
Adobe, all those, we're like, hey, do you do team building events? Hey, do you do special events? And we would just be like, yes, of course we do. Even though we did it, we just said yes, whatever. We're like, oh yeah, we do those all the time. And I ended up running team building events for the top tech companies for the next decade. Mm. And what I found at the best companies in the world, quote unquote, right? Yeah. Was um, not a safe space to play, mm. not a place where people were willing to take risks. You know, they had it on the walls, like be creative and, you know, um, explore your authenticity, but like they weren't actually following through on it. So, mm. you know, a few years ago, I created Rediscover Your Play to address really important issues like psychological safety, like how do you deal with that toxic person at work, how to have a difficult conversation, how to tap into your inner child, how to address your inner critic, like all this stuff, because I was like, man, you can use play to address all this. And that's what I've been doing ever since, man. I, I freaking love that. And, and I have, I have sort of kind of been there. Like I, I know uh, about like, you know, being on the cusp or getting what exactly what you wanted all mm. your life. Like I remember growing up three, since the age of three, I knew that I wanted to be a lawyer and uh, mm. obviously I'm not a lawyer anymore. Uh, but I got to like my second semester of senior year in college and I was like looking, doing like all everything I need to do to go to um, law school. And I was like, no, no. And so you plan all like spend all this time, like doing all this stuff. I mean, that's the time, resources, all that stuff. And then kind of like pivoting. And it kind of, mm-hmm. it was like a free fall for, for a few years. And then I, I found, you know, organizational psychology and I freaking yeah. love what I do now. Um, but talk to people, and I talk to people about like this, this positive way of thinking and even not explicitly say play, but, but like, I've loved what you said in the past and on the research I've done um, on you is like how you approach like work and like, yeah. there can be like this joy that when you go to work, like if you're going to spend all this time, why the fuck not? You know 20, what I'm saying? 500 hours, right? Yes. If you're working 50 hours a week, 2,500 hours, that's yeah. a year. You're spending that much time at work and you don't have joy like whoa it's wild like, it's wild like i like i've met i've been working now with so many organizations and people where it's just they're like well it just doesn't make sense i'm supposed to work 60 years so that i can get like what 10 or 20 quality years at the end like that yeah. doesn't sound like a good exchange at all Hell like no, we should be no. enjoying our work while we're working Instead yep. of be instead of having the Sunday scaries, I was like, "What is that?" I was like, "That's yep. a horrible thing to have." Yep, yep. No, and and oh my gosh, and I talked I talk about this about my own work when I when I'm working with clients. It's just like, yo, if you are like not happy and you have like the opportunity to leave or you have a possibility to leave, get the fuck like get the fuck out. Like they really don't deserve your energy, your time. Like if they're not willing to like invest in your like fulfillment in what in what you do you know and i think a lot of times it's like the reverse like they're like they'll say it's like your job it's your your independent job to you find that fulfillment and so like you're we're giving you a paycheck so we're already like fulfilling that that as we're seeing a lot as we're seeing a lot like people aren't taking that shit no more (laughs) with the great resignation yeah I'm, i'm making a video right now for tiktok where it's just like a bunch of like horrible quotes people say at meetings and mm-hmm. one of the quotes is like a, a boss will be will can't will be like, all right, so we're gonna wrap up early. So I am I am giving you ten minutes of your life back. And I was talking to my friend about that. And he's like, oh, I hate that phrase. And I was yeah. like, oh, why? We started breaking it down. It was like, 
Oh, because that manager believes they own you. Yes. They believe yep. they own your time. Mm-hmm. And now they are giving you the luxurious 10 minutes for you to have. And it's just like, dude, like the disconnect between employer and employee right now is why so many people are quitting. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I remember even like young in my career in, in the way that I like approached work was like, I don't see a hierarchy. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm working my ass off. You're working my ass mm-hmm. off. Like this is a team, you know what I'm saying? But I remember there was one time I said something to like the VP of like, uh, I worked in higher education. So I said something to the VP and yeah. like I just said it. Yeah. And the look she gave me, like, try, like, like literally was saying like know your know your place like don't ever talk to me like that again and I, I it wasn't anything like disrespectful I said you know I don't even remember what I said it was just something I was pointing you challenged out the obvious her authority exactly and I was pointing out the obvious and everybody knew it but the room went dead silent and I was like I guess I, I mean I guess <laughs> well, well I mean re- I mean real talk because we're talking real talk right yeah yeah so, so there was this really um you could look it up uh I think Desiree Attaway runs this like workshop called whiteness at work mm-hmm. and she was breaking down how do we measure productivity at work and when you do the research you find that the same ways in which we measure productivity now Mm-hmm. are the same ways in which we measured productivity on slave plantations. It's the ex- so think about it, it's production, how much did your area produce? Mm-hmm. Who was the manager or overseer? Mm-hmm. When they produce more, they get promoted, right? Yep. And also these supervisors of the overseers are they don't care how you get the work done. They just want the cotton picked. Mm. So again, like there's so much disconnect and we really haven't changed the way in which we measure productivity and yeah. also how we, re- we reward, right? So mm-hmm. we're not even thinking about how people get work done. We just want to get work done. So if people need to do exploitive practices in order to do it, they'll do that. Yeah. And we haven't changed that model since the freaking 1800s, man. God damn. So yeah. <laughs> like if we're not bringing, and this is what I keep telling organizations, if you're not bringing shared humanity, empathy, and compassion into the workplace, I truly believe you'll be obsolete in the next decade. Yeah. You might not be gone, but you might yeah. be like Sears or yeah. Blockbuster or a company yeah. that no one wants to work for. And yeah. I'm hoping we're leaning towards that, Rob. Well, I hope so too. And I, I think what we've seen in with the Great Resignation and people like literally not like not going back to work. Yeah. And like, they, I mean, they're, they're just not and choosing not done. to go back. They're just done. And and I I mean I feel like I'm just like being so vindicated in the last like yep. two years because I've been literally been saying this. Yes, we've been talking about for years. Yes. Yeah, and I've been saying this. I'm like, we I don't want to do this anymore. And so I I feel like I'm I, I uh I've heard from other people on the other side of the camp of like, well, like there's a job you just need to take it. I'm like, well, you know, I don't know about that. You know what I'm saying? Um, what I mean, okay, well, th- what what would you say to folks like that? You know, like like you need to make a living you need to make money like you like get a job like do it and they're paying more so so i think we have to talk about privilege right you know Mm. it's a luxury for you to be able to quit your job so and i think you mentioned that earlier like if you have the ability to quit right yeah a lot of people don't a lot of people Mm -hmm. are like hey i have a mortgage i have that you know i have you know i have kids in school and you know i have to so i get it if you're stuck in a situation 
that's where you're at right now. But it mm. doesn't, you don't have to be there forever, right? Mm. And I think what we have to ask ourselves is, you know, I always would ask someone, and I would tell this to managers as well, what is your staff's zone of genius work? What is the work where they forget about time? What's the mm. work that they actually love to do that if even if they weren't getting paid to do it, they would probably do this work. So I would ask someone, is there any type of work like that that you do at your job right now that you that you do like, even though you might hate your job, right? Mm. Can you mm. ask your manager if you can do more of that work? And then if the person's like, no, you got to do whatever you got to do, then over the span of the next like six months or year, figure out, all right, what is my zone of genius work? Let me figure out where I can actually do that and start planning how you're going to transition out. Mm -hmm. Right. But yeah. don't feel as if like, you know, you have to just follow your passion and quit today because like that is, that's definitely coming from like a privileged mm -hmm. and affluent place because you see it on TikTok all the time where people are just like, just quit your job and then yeah. travel the world. And it's just like, dude, we can't all do that. You know, yeah. let's just be re realistic. Yeah. But I can go to work and be like, what part of it do I actually love or can figure out what I love mm -hmm. during this time? And what and and almost think of it this way, where you're like, this company is gonna pay me while I figure out what I want to do next. Yeah. And see it yep. that way. Yep. And 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 oftentimes when you're in that position, it could really be a mindset shift. Like mm -hmm. honestly, like there was a job that I was hating, and the moment I decided that, like, um that well, first of all, I was tricked into getting the job. Like I was recruited by the the, the like the executive director. And then when I actually got the job, I'm like, this is what I was told I was gonna do, like and, you know, six or eight months in. And the my direct supervisor was like, No, you're not doing that. Uh -huh. And this woman was literally holding me back. Like uh -huh. she literally said, Oh, you're gonna just be doing this part of the job and you're just gonna do that for a full year. Wow. I'm like, I literally know how to do this within the first two weeks. And she was trying to get me to do that for a full year. And I'm like, I, I, I'm i out. So when I made the mental switch in my mind, I'm like, oh, this is just a job. Like, this is yeah. just a job. Like, y'all are paying me. Yep. And it was easy. I'm like, I'm clocking in at, I'm clocking in at eight. I'm leaving at five. I'm not yep. working more for y'all. Um, I'm going to do the bare minimum. I'm not going to stack my calendar yep. like I was. I'm not going to um, uh, uh, go above and beyond. I'm literally going to get... Uh, recruit solid candidates for these positions, fill these positions, send them your way. Um, you know, be kind and courteous to the, uh, the applicants that come in, but I'm not, I'm not working above and beyond coming up with game plans, strategizing on like um, to try and solve the, the, the pipeline of losing yeah. employees because they were literally bleeding employees from that company. I'm not going to try and figure that out. I'm just going to do my job and yeah. that's it. And literally it was a game changer. I yeah. was like, I was happier. Yeah. I was like joy filled. People were trying to talk to me about all the stuff that's gone on the organization. I was like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I really don't. Like I'm just here. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and studies have even found you can only do deep work for three hours and I think 53 minutes out of a given day. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, what are people doing with those other four hours? We're just we're at, we're on doing stupid meetings. We're sending mm -hmm. emails that aren't necessary. We're moving paper from one side to another. So if you are at a job like that, you know, do what you need to do, but find out if you can do those eight hours of work in four hours, and then use those other four hours 
for yourself. You know, yep. like let's start utilizing that while you start figuring out what it is that you want to do next. Like let's Absolutely. leverage that instead Absolutely. of having them exploit you. Let's start taking advantage of the situation you are in. I hope y'all heard that because that that's like a big mindset shift and like really, uh, I don't think folks see it as exploitation from like employers and companies and organizations, but that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Like with the, like the demand that they have on our lives around work. Well, not me because I work for myself, but like, uh, uh, but but in general, um, it, it, it's just not. It hasn't been fair, and it hasn't been fair for a long time. And, and like, think, there's and been, think yeah. about it. You are exhausted when you get home, right? Mm. So then, any time that you would want to look for your next job or do other things that you really enjoy, they've already taken that life force mm. out of you for the day. So those are some of the ways also that it's exploited. Is they're yeah. taking up your time, which is the most precious thing. I love that. I love that. All right. Um, I'm I'm curious because like I feel like there's so many people right now, as we've talked about, that are trying to figure out what they do. They've quit a job that's, you know, quit a job or in the process of creating exit strategy for themselves. I'm curious for you, how did you know what you wanted to do? And then how would you recommend for folks to like kind of discover what they want to do? Yeah. So the two, (laughs) I I have many ways, but um, (laughs) how do I want to answer this? Um, Here, let's go in this route. I've never gone this route before. All right, let's do it. I love it. You know a labyrinth? Have you ever seen the labyrinth? You know? Yeah. If you ever taken a labyrinth, there's actually, you actually go straight to the center at the beginning. You're like really close to getting it. And then you have to go all the way around and through the entire labyrinth to actually get to the center. And Mm. my friend, uh, Destiny Muhammad, who's um, this phenomenal harpist, harpist in the hood, um, would say to me, or recently said to me, um, the longest way around is the shortest way home. Mm. And it's this whole idea of like, we are constantly looking for the short route, but the mm. short, the short route prevents you from figuring out who you are. Mm. And mm. the longest way around the alchemist, if you've ever read that book, the alchemist, that way around is the best way in which to figure out who you are. So mm-hmm. I say that in the context of like, you have to play in order to figure out what you want to do next. So oh, yeah. I, have, I have two ways that I suggest people do it. One way um, is this, and, and I partly got this from a play mentor of mine, Gwen Gordon, who would say, you can't play when you are in an anxiety ridden state. You can't play when you're like angry, when you're sad, you just can't. So you have to first identify what actually soothes you, what actually calms mm-hmm. you down. You know, is that meditation? Is that going for a walk? Is that taking a shower? Like when do you have a flood of ideas that come to you? And it's different for each person, right? Yeah. So what calms you down? And then after you identified what soothes you, right? Then um, you allow yourself to get bored. Yes. And in this society, that is so difficult. And what do I mean by getting bored? Meaning like stop binge watching Netflix, stop mm. doom scrolling, stop... Yeah. Getting, because we get inundated with more information in a day than most people in the 1960s got in an entire year, right? And That's if you want to go even further back, back in the 1800s, like 1850s, we get more information in a day than they got in their entire lifetime. That's wow. how much noise. No wonder we can't figure out what we want to do. Like yeah. capitalism is constantly you know, you know, getting in the way of us trying to figure that out. So yeah. allowing yourself to actually get bored 
And when I say this, I'm like, I'm talking about like five minutes to 30 minutes a day where you're not inundated by other stuff. And then Mm -hmm. once you allow yourself to get bored and sit in that silence or walk in that silence, however you want to do it, you will start to hear these nerve-sided ideas, these ideas that make you nervous and excited. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, let's start a podcast, Jonathan, right? Let's, you know, make a TikTok video. Let's write that person we've always wanted to write at that job you've always wanted, but, you know, but have never had like the gall to do it, right? Like, Mm. let's take a risk and do this thing that we've never thought we could do. And the whole idea of then following through and actually taking that risk, it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter if that person emails you back or not, or you make a video and then you don't post it. It's the idea of you stepping out and diving into this pool of uncertainty and Mm. realizing that fear is just false evidence appearing real. Mm. And then you start to expand what is possible. So then you're like, oh, that wasn't that that bad. Let me take another risk. Let me take another risk. And as you keep taking more risks, then all of a sudden more ideas start to appear. And then you start following down that path of play and figuring out what you love to do. So that's something you can do personally for yourself. If you want your friends to help you out, then I recommend you call three to five of your closest friends, call them or Zoom or meet them face to face. Don't just text them. Yeah. (laughs) And ask them these two questions. Um, When have you seen me most alive? Mm. And then the second question of what, why are we friends? Like, what do Mm. I do for you? Like what value do I bring to your life? Because I think a lot of times we forget what value we bring to people's lives. Right. So, you know, why are we friends? Like, you know, what value do I bring to your life? So ask that question. And then ask, when have you seen me come most alive? And that comes from the Howard Thurman quote, don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive because what the world needs is more people to come alive, right? So another way of asking, when have you seen me most alive? When have you seen me most creative, most playful, most myself, right? And when you ask those three to five different people those questions back, what value do I bring to your life? And when have you seen me come most alive? The answers, when you write them down, all these patterns start to appear that you didn't know before. And you're like, oh, is that what I do for you? I didn't even realize that. Or, oh, that is what I do. I don't even realize I do that. That that was, whoa, four years ago was the last time I was really that happy. And once Mm. you get all these ideas and you write them all down, then you can start circling the ones that resonate most with you and then turn back to those friends or family and be like, can you help me play in one of these ways? And those are just two techniques I do all the time with my coaching clients to help them tap back into their inner child. I love that. And, and, and the only, I would add, because like the only thing that I've done something like similar, but I've come at it with a values piece Mm because it's like, and just having people understand like, yo, like you don't even truly know what you want because you don't even really know what your values are. You don't really know what's like important or crucial to you. So once you understand that, you'll actually have a clear picture of like, Oh, yeah, like, you know, financial stability is important to me. And some people literally, I love making money, so I don't give a damn. Like, right. I, I will work this job and I'll make this, you know, six high six figures or whatever, which is dope. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, I, I'm not going to hate on anybody if they're like, I'm going to do that. But like, well, you well, need so, to understand your values too. So so let's get into that just for a, a brief minute. So like, yeah. I run a workshop with my colleague, Lauren Yee, called Your Future's Where Your Fun Is, mm-hmm. where we help people discover not just their values, but discover their play values. 
themselves. Mm. So I ask people what they love to do as a kid. Now, what okay. I love to do as a kid is I love to combine board games together, right? And make this epic long board game of Monopoly, <laughs> Clue, Mousetrap, and have my sisters play it. They hated it, but I loved it. It was like- That's amazing. Game, right? well, but when I think about why I loved it was I loved the collaboration. I loved mm. the creativity. I mm. loved creating a memorable experience. And I loved the connection. And I was like, and then I was like, okay, those are my play values. That's all the work that I do now, right? Mm. It all tap mm. when I'm doing the work that brings me the most joy. It's that. So wait, what did you love to do as a kid? Honestly, it's just it's pick one. Like, what, okay, I so I mean, uh, I love to put things in like order. Mm. So like I had like I had like uh, I used to collect like Pokemon cards, Yu Gi Oh yeah. cards. I used to like. Have I still have like over four or five thousand like baseball, football, like collectible cards, and I loved used to spend time putting all that stuff in order and like making it look cool. Um, and like yo, like this is from like nineteen seventy three. Um, whoever, nice. blah 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 blah, and going through the, and going through that. Okay, so um, then, yeah. so then, why did you love to do that type of play? Uh. What are the Honestly, values underneath that that show up for you? Yeah, it, well, I think a little bit of creativity yeah. for me. Like, I, I love to be creative in a way with, like, things that don't seem too creative. Yeah. And just, like, making it my own. Um, uh, uh, some of those, like, not because places have a particular order, but because, like, I feel like there's just, like, a flow when things, yeah. like, it just, like, when stuff, like, kind of, like, makes sense um uh well like makes sense to me there's like a yeah. flow yeah and like not like an efficiency too yeah um and then what's another one sometimes i just like the way like th things look like just making it move around you yeah. know yeah like pieces are there yeah so then so. we would explore that right of being mm -hmm. like okay you love the idea of putting things first finding your flow by finding a certain way in which things come to order and efficiency Right? Yeah. There's something about that. You also love to take things that you wouldn't consider playful or creative, but actually use creativity to address and bring some joy and fascination to it. And then you also just love that things look dope. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so you can then take those things and you probably are doing those things already and just be yeah. like, how do I do more of that in my given day? Yeah. And how do I do that as a job? Mm. Probably while you're running your business, these are some of the main reasons why your business is successful. Yeah. You want to know what's wild, <laughs> Jeff. Okay. So um, as you were sharing that with me, I'm like thinking about like what I love to do, like in my own profession. So mm -hmm. in the consulting side, like I don't necessarily like the building part of like yeah. helping people's like get up there. I love fixing things. Huh? So if somebody has like an issue, like huh? honestly an issue. Yeah. I love going in there and be like, all right, what's going on? Yes. <laughs> like, like, let, like, put me in the middle of the mess. Yes. I want to yes. clean this up. Like, you want to provide yeah. order to it. Yeah, yeah, and like, not necessarily my order. I, yeah. I've learned to like un like take that part away because like my the way that I see order doesn't necessarily make sense for everybody. But like supporting and, and partnering and collaborating with like the the organizations I work with and like figuring out what is best for you. Um, I absolutely like love, 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 love that. I love doing that with uh, See, my coaching clients as well. You're so good. At yeah. <laughs> because you're like, I, I, I love doing this stuff anyway. 
And most mm. people, when they see disorder or chaos, they run away from it. Mm, so mm-hmm. I love that. Well, okay. So like now the flip side of that, and one of the things that I've been like thinking about um, prior to us talking. So I know, I know not, not everybody has had the opportunity as children to like play, you know, yeah. and I'm referring to like trauma, you know what yeah. I'm saying? And some people like, uh, you talk a lot about like discover your play yeah. um, or rediscover your play. What is like your approach for somebody who, you know, need besides obviously therapy <laughs> that has some trauma in their yeah, life? Yeah, yeah. I but mean, like, I've, talked to, I've talked to a few different trauma therapists specifically mm-hmm. about this because, yeah, some people never even got the opportunity to play as a kid. So when we're doing like play values of reflection, we say, hey, what did you love to do as a kid? Or if that is not, what do you, what, when was the last time you played as an adult? Like, mm-hmm. let's actually just tap into what you can tap into now instead of being like, oh, you know, let's remind you of your childhood all over again and be like how like painful and, and rough it was, right? Mm-hmm. So I really like to ask people like, okay, when have you last been most present? So mm-hmm. let's just start off in a really basic way there. Okay, yeah, when was yeah. the last time you, you felt like you had a... a significant amount of joy what were you doing who were you with right and we start from that standpoint of like small steps like that instead Mm -hmm. of then going you know much deeper and then if they're like oh this is too tough for me Mm -hmm. that's when i'm like then it's probably important for you to at this point in parallel also be seeing a therapist and really addressing you know the trauma from the past because it's tough man even when we even when i run a workshop on dealing with your inner critic Mm-hmm. you know, and we are like literally having people act out their inner critic. Mm. There are many layers of your inner critic, right? There are many, there are many people at the boardroom. There's many inner critics. There's the surface level ones that are just mean to you at the, you know, about like, you know, superficial things, but then there's like the deep seated ones. So mm. and the many times when I'm coaching, we're talking about the first initial ones. And then whenever you need to like, when it's going too deep, that's when you need to speak to a therapist. Yeah, yeah. I'm even thinking about like, um, I was watching one of the videos on your website and how you were sharing how like on on a workshop you're leading in like Australia, I don't remember what company oh, it was yeah. for, but like, yeah. but like the workshop, like people were experiencing all kinds of different things, high-fiving, laughing. Some people were literally crying. Yep. Um, and like they're... And it's so funny how like when we tap into our like inner child, Mm -hmm. like all of that stuff, uh, all that stuff comes up, whether it's like those happy memories, some hard memories, but like the, the healing that actually play can, um, can like orchestrate, um, end all, all this. Yeah. And the healing that happens in community. Mm. I think that's the part that's also really important to note. We were running that work, a workshop on dealing with a holes at work through play. So Mm. we were talking about, toxicity in the workplace and the reason why people first were laughing and then later on getting really emotional was each of them were sharing how they quit a job they loved because of a toxic person and each person was just like i thought that was just me i thought i was the only one Mm. and then there was even and it was you know it was skewed predominantly it was probably women in there but there was like a few dudes in there and this guy, this white dude of all things, was just like, yeah, I left a job because of this toxic white guy. And they were like, you too? Wait, I, I, thought, you, I thought 
you were the toxic white guy. And he's like, yeah. no. So it was like this fascination of mm. like seeing the humanity in others, right? Mm. And I think something that's lost in Western therapy that I think needs to be recognized is the amount of therapy that also happens through community. Mm. I think a lot of times therapists, you know, and just like psychology in general in the Western world, it's just like, it's very individual. Mm-hmm. But I, I talk about this and I can go into this in more detail later no, on. No, please do. I, Actually, please do. This is okay. This is so, yeah. so, um, okay, here, let me first answer this part. So, mm-hmm. um, in parts of Africa, for example, if someone is going through depression, the community asks what's going on, right? Oh, why mm-hmm. is this person struggling, right? Usually, in Western, it's just like, oh, take some depressed medicine, you know, keep coming to therapy, keep talking it out. But what happened, you know, in, you know, this one village was they were like, oh, well, the person's depressed because um, right now they lost their job and they have mm-hmm. no source of income. Okay, what do they, we need to do? So they fundraise in order to help this person, like, start their farm, right? Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, we need someone to watch their kids. So people in the community help watch that person's kids so they could mm-hmm. actually start to make money. And that's a, that's therapy as well. Yeah, And, and yeah. they found that in certain countries, especially in the third world, when Western psychologists and therapists came, they had to kick them out. Because, like, they weren't actually helping to heal the trauma after an earthquake or the trauma after a hurricane or tsunami because they were being like, yeah, just take medicine and keep coming to therapy. And they're like, this does not involve the community at all. And Mm -hmm. the way in which we heal and help each other is by also sharing our pain and finding commonalities and being like, this is how I got through it. This is how you can get through it as well. And in Western culture, individualism destroys our ability to play through our trauma as a community. Mm, I <laughs> I just literally just having a conversation with somebody yesterday with like how individualism is like can be so like so destructive in our mm-hmm. ability to like move like a lot of things forward because like we just like oh I, well I'm just going to do this I, I I can handle it I'm I'm just going to take care of it when like things can be dealt with in completely different and yeah. also like in a much healthier way within community. But like, I feel like there's particularly in like a Western context, particularly a white Western context, there's like no, there's like a shying away from of like being vulnerable to a sense of like involving the community. Uh, and it, and I've always thought that that was like so Weird. And which is why another reason why I started this podcast, because I wanted to be like, yo, like, let's like, let's talk about it. Because like, these are things like, if I'm withholding, like things that are going on with me, and some things are too personal, like I'm gonna keep it within my community, right? But there's other things that like, actually can help, like, there's a level of vulnerability and authenticity, that like, is beneficial for the community to know. And how do I not know that that same community can reciprocate that in a way that's like incredibly transformative and yes. healing, you know? Yes. yes. So I love yes. that example yes. that you all use. Of that. Yeah. And then you you know, and this is something that blew my mind last year of, of all the things that blew my mind was, so you are, you're familiar with Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's incomplete. It's, it's, it's not wrong, but it's incomplete. Yeah. And what I mean by that is a, a lot of people don't know Abraham Maslow spent time with the First Nations tribe out in, I believe, Canada. 
Wow, I did not borrowed know borrowed the triangle from them. Mm. And he misinterpreted it in many ways. So the triangle is actually not a triangle. It's a teepee. Mm. And he has, you know, like, you know, physiological needs going all the way to the self-actualization, right? That's the Abraham Maslow hierarchy of needs, right? But in the First Nations teepee pyramid, right? Self-actualization's at the bottom. It's the basis of everything. So the whole idea of like, all right, who am I and how do I show up to the world? Important enough, that's something that's valid. You know, I need to discover why I'm here, right? But Mm -hmm. then right above self-actualization is community actualization. How Mm -hmm. do we now show up as a group for each other as well as for everyone else that's out there, right? How are we, you know, actualizing together? And then what's at the very top, and I love this, is cultural perpetuity. And the whole idea of cultural perpetuity means breath of life. And what that actually means is like, by yourself, you're insignificant. Like, Mm -hmm. just your life alone is insignificant. But also, you are the most important link between your ancestors and your descendants. So everything that your ancestors have ever done, they breathe life into you, and then you have a choice. What do you want to pass on next? Do you want to pass on historical trauma? Do you want to pass on the lessons learned? Do you want to pass on successes? All of these things, what do you want to pass on? That is why you're such an important link in the chain. But if Mm. you're just focused on your own individual, like I'm going to get rich and everything, no wonder you feel empty at the end of your life because you're not thinking about what you're passing on. So like recognizing that you're part of something so much bigger than you that, Mm. that goes thousands of years before and thousands of years after Mm. you would change your whole perspective of how you live. 100%. I'm just like thinking about like the, like, well, just like the existential crisis of like thinking about like in the grand scheme of things, I like just me just being so individualistic. Like I, like, it does nothing matters. Like just being so nihilistic, like nothing matters. Like I'm like, it's just me. It doesn't matter. But if you like (laughs) that, like shifts and change everything when you like involve your ancestors and then the descendants and like, you're a part of this like grander story and greater picture. Like that is like a dramatic, like that changes everything. I'm like, that gives me a whole new purpose. You know what I'm saying? Like, and like, what I have to bring to the world. How many of your ancestors, how many of your ancestors never got the chance to have what you have? Right. Mm, mm, mm. Even if we're just going two, even if we're just going two generations back, right? Your yeah. grandparents worked so hard. So your parents, like my parents, are are immigrants from the Caribbean and, and the Philippines, right? Oh, wow, just seeing yeah. the sacrifices they made to mm. get here, right? You know, I have a luxury to do what I want because, in many ways, they didn't have the luxury to do what they wanted. So, mm. like, just thinking about this—that you're living your life not just for you, but for everyone else that came before you. Yeah. So what do you want to do to actually show respect to them? Yeah, I love that. And like even like connecting it to play, it's like, you know, mm-hmm. it's I, I, I wonder like, well, tell me, how would you connect that to play? Everything that we just talked about. <laughs> well, it's just this idea then of just like, okay, if I'm, you know, do. So here's some play you could do. Do some research on what it is about your family tree like Mm. what were some of your 
not even just ancestors, but some of your family. I found out some of my family were like musicians, just mm. like a you know two three generations ago. And I'm like, wait, what? And mm. you start looking back and you find out all the play they did. And then you're like, wait a minute, that's maybe why I like to do what I like to do. Mm -hmm. So you can play in that way of just like rediscovering. This is why my company is called Rediscovering Your Play, Rediscover Who You Are, right? Yeah. Is you can rediscover who you are by finding out what your family members and all the way back to your ancestors used to love to do. And that's simply having really fascinating conversations. You're just doing some of the research yourself. And, and discovering this and then realizing you're part of something bigger, you know, and imagine mm. if you were like, oh, my goodness, I imagine, let's say you were like, you know, you loved music, and you didn't know why. And you went mm. back and noticed that the last three or four generations, everyone played music. And you're like, this is I didn't even realize this is what I'm carrying with me. Mm. Then you would have more like you'd feel more importance towards actually diving back into that hobby that you put away a while ago because you thought like it was not an adult thing to do when you're like, wait a minute, my great grandmother used to play like the ukulele, you know, and I love to play that thing. So like we should be exploring and playing with that history in order to determine where we want to go in the future. Absolutely. And, and it's, uh, it's a loose thread or a loose connection, but I'm going to say it anyways. I, I'm thinking of the, the movie Coco and uh-huh. how like... Coco is, no, not loose yes, at all. Exact. It, yes. Exact. And so like how, even how like the family like did not listen to music at all, but there was like this deep, like internal, almost innate connection to music yes. that he had. And even though it was not allowed, like he like self-taught himself how to play the guitar sang it like snuck it like it was in him and so by the end of it like you realize that it was like there is this connection to it from his ancestors and like and and really uh at the end of it when they made that connection with his grandfather or it's just it's just incredible like how like the music was so i don't know it it was like pivotal it was pivotal healing yes 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 it was healing it healed their history it healed so much of and it and it and it was a part of them that they had denied for so long. That's it. And and look at this kid, this like 10, 12-year-old kid mm-hmm. is healing the whole ancestral line by bringing this back. So yeah. when you allow yourself to get bored, right? Mm-hmm. When you get yourself quiet enough and stop doom scrolling and and get, you know, bored enough to start listening to yourself. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, all these ideas start coming up, and some of them are coming from your ancestors. All right, so that probably went over the head of some of my listeners, but I, because <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, I've tried. So you know what I'm my, you know yeah, what I'm it's it's wild. So um, hold on, let me gather my thoughts because like you dropped something on my oh, head. This, I need to... <laughs> this is a great conversation, by the way. I'm loving this conversation yeah. <laughs> so much. Joy. It brings so, me so much joy. Uh, okay, so so one of my actual like um things that I want to do this year one of my intentions is to like actually explore like some of my like family lineage mm. trauma there's like this healing coach that I'm going to like talk to her name's mm-hmm. Dr. Love shout out her she has no idea what I'm going to call her but the the thing is is like she works um uh, with you to like get this reconnection with your ancestors and understand and like do some healing of that past descended tra- or past lineage trauma um and I think in particular like I know within in my past at least on my mother's side like going back i think four or five generations like my grand my great my 
great, 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 great grandfather was a runaway slave out of Louisiana. You know mm. what I'm saying? And like the trauma that exists there, but also the determination and perseverance to find, not find freedom, but uh, take the shackles off and release mm-hmm. himself from like whatever and like establish himself somewhere else. And so I know that that is like something that is the through line behind yeah. like that self-determination behind of like throughout my family. I can just see it as I've like, I did yeah. research on this a few years ago. And the through line that I see is like my grandfather from way back when running away from slavery, you know what I'm saying? Um, and so like, I, I, I'm really curious. And, and obviously that's not everybody's story. You know, yeah. not everybody has that story, but like there's something exists with like your past, with your history and making that connection. Like there is a possible connection. And I think that there is, um, when we think about uh, our lives as so individual and like yeah. cut off those other things, we we do lose that. We're like yeah. severing that that uh, connection with people that like came before us that want and desperately want to connect with us and give us something um, that actually could be healing uh, and empower us. And we don't even realize that. We don't even realize it. And something that that you know might fascinate you. A few years ago, I went on a civil rights tour, right? Mm. Where I and and we just made it up, right? Where yeah. we we went to Selma and then we went to like Birmingham and we went all the way down to Louisiana and parts of Texas and then back through Arkansas and just saw these like really significant sites. Mm-hmm. And, and imagine doing that with your ancestors, like going back to where they were from mm-hmm. and like standing in the places that they stood. There is mm-hmm. something magical also that goes on when you're in those places as well. And yeah. also, you know, just, understanding like where they actually came from like you know my dad grew up in the caribbean in like you know like a tin roof shack and like Mm. sitting in that when you're sitting in that or my mom in the philippines they have family that they have like dirt on their floors like that's Mm. their floor their floor is dirty it gets muddy when it rains like when you're sitting in that then you're like oh this is where i came from Mm. like this is how far i we've come so you find a bigger purpose that's just not about you. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and I think we do our best work when we realize it's not about you, when mm-hmm. it's not about us. You know, when, mm-hmm. you're, when I'm speaking in front of a bunch of people, what reminds me not to be nervous is like, I am simply right now channeling a message and I just happen to be the vessel. But this is mm-hmm. not about me. Like, like, I just happen to be the one on stage but we're facilitating this t- together. We're co-creating this experience together, me and everyone else that's there. And mm-hmm. I think the more we realize, like it's like even when we're doing things for ourselves, we're liberating others by simply doing things for ourselves when we pursue mm-hmm. things that really bring us joy, right? You know, mm-hmm. you're giving permission for others to do the same as Marianne yes. Williamson would say, right? It's so much bigger than you. Yeah. And it's and when you when you allow yourself to feel that you don't feel so much pressure to have to perform. Yeah. You, it's, you don't have to be, it's, it's, it's not just about you doing these things for you anymore. Yeah. I love that. Um, and the, the thought that comes to mind is like your vulnerability, your authenticity enables vulnerability and authenticity. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing I try and communicate with, you know, in my coaching and consulting practice. Like I, it's just, if you want a more authentic and genuine culture and you want people to like just 
have fun or have fun at work or enjoy themselves, like create that atmosphere by you doing it yourself, like be an example of it. Mm-hmm. Because like, how do they know? How do they, how is it even a psychologically safe place if like you're <laughs> if you you just say those words and you're not even actually taking a day off when you're like sick or you're sending emails at 11 p.m. or, you know, um, working on the weekends or uh, have this like face about like vacation time right um, and stuff like right. that like th- and even and so when you do stuff. something as simple as like speaking up at a meeting when you're like yeah i don't agree with that mm, you know mm. and you speak even though you're nervous and you're like oh i don't want to say this thing but i'm going to say this thing anyway what you did earlier right when you were challenge challenging that vp but speaking up right yeah. it gives permission for everyone else to be like oh this is all made up anyway. Like all mm-hmm. these, all these positions and whatever it is. Like this is this, everyone's. I tell this to people all the time. Everyone is already playing, right? Mm-hmm. They're just playing roles that they don't want to play. Mm. So my thing is just like, why don't you just play a role you actually want to play, right? Why don't you yeah. actually play a role that is more? And I hate the word authenticity now, but it's more yeah. real to you because yep. they destroyed the word authenticity. But just like that you feel compelled to do. I'm going to say something at this meeting because I think what was just suggested is taking advantage of our time. And and this is not part of my work. When you state that and you set that boundary, you are now giving permission for everyone else to be like, yeah, I don't want to do that either. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, and hold, and holding that ground too is, is so important. Like, don't back down from it as scary as it could be like holding that ground too and holding that boundary is like, can be incredibly impactful. And, and, and what you may find too, and, and cause I've seen this is like the, uh, so like, say you don't like the opposite happens, right? Like say some folks don't, um, support you or like, we don't get like the, yeah, I don't want to do this. <laughs> no, like, and it's just you, like that can be incredibly uh scary vulnerable and like you mm-hmm. might receive some level of backlash but like oh like this person isn't down for for the cause then you just figured out this is not the right place for you <laughs> yeah exactly. like exactly. it's not a, it's not a dead end like you just figured out i need to get the fuck out of here because they yeah, don't care and, about you and also recognize the amount of leverage you have right now mm. right? what i think 23 million people quit their job last year yeah so there yep. are a lot of job openings so when you're yep. like at a job and you're challenging authority and they're pushing back on it, you know, there's not many of them left, right? There's not many of you left. So you can actually start asking for stuff that you never thought you could ask for before. And you could also start to change the culture of that organization by simply saying, Hey, this is why I think a lot of people have already left, right? Oh, you don't want to hear it. Then I'm out of here. Oh, you do want to hear it. Then here, I'll help you bring more people in but mm-hmm. only if we change the culture in these ways. That's the yeah. leverage you have right now. And mm-hmm. we're never going to get an opportunity like this in our lifetime to do this again, to have this much leverage as yeah. employees. So yeah. just remember that. Oh, 100%. And what I've noticed, uh, or what I've seen in like recent news and everything like that uh, is that there's so many like uh, strikes that are taking place, like mm-hmm. Kellogg, um, Starbucks, um, so many others. Because right now the leverage is like higher than at any point it, it passed the industrial revolution, right? Of like the power really like being taken uh, yeah. away from the employer. And so I like really got to take advantage of it right now um, for higher wages, for better work cultures, for better work boundaries, 
um, all of those things. Um, and we really are at a crossroads. Are we going the Jeff Bezos route where we're going to exploit people or the Elon mm-hmm. Musk route of just like, mm-hmm. you know, j- just for an example of this is after their uh, tornadoes destroyed this Amazon warehouse, I think, mm-hmm. in, I don't know, it was like in the Midwest. Yep. Amazon warehouse workers from that facility were asked to come back the next day. That's and continue to work. So like that's one extreme. The other extreme is more of the Tony Shea Zappos Dan Price route. Dan Price is the guy that had like the $70,000 Love Dan know, Price. Yeah. minimum um yep. Tony Shea from Zappos was like, you know, we will, you know, we want people to play at work and we care more about our employees than our customers. Yeah. We prioritize our employees then customers will be happy. So there are these two crossroads and we really as a society have to decide where we're going to go. And I'm still seeing so many movies made about like the WeWork guy and the Wolf of Wall Street guy and Elon Musk and Steve Jobs. And it's just like, can we stop deifying that toxic culture? Yeah. Like Wolf of Wall Street was supposed to be a cautionary tale, but most people watch it and just love it. You know, love it. like, yeah. oh, I love how greedy is because it's just like watching Wall Street all over again. Can we mm. stop deifying that narcissistic, toxic, masculine, you know, trope and start to explore a more shared humanity, empathy, compassionate sort of way? And a, an example of that is Jacinda Ardern of New Zealand, the prime mm. minister. Oh, of New Zealand, yeah. She's incredible, who, too. <laughs> who led with 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 strong divine feminine and strong masculine, right? Like had Mm -hmm. both set clear boundaries, but had empathy provided there's her, her um, constituents, the money and resources because they weren't working found that balance. And because of that lowest death rates of COVID in the Mm -hmm. entire world, I mean, we're talking less than a hundred people for the whole last two years in comparison to 850,000 here now. So like yeah. we just have to start celebrating that type of leadership. Mm-hmm. If we really want a future of work that works for all of us. I love that. I love that. And I think that's a great place to stop. That that I, Jeff, I absolutely loved love love this conversation. This is so much fun, man. I love it. <laughs> talk for hours man. I, I we really it. actually could um i really appreciate you coming on i would love for folks to get connected with what you're doing yeah. reach out to you if they want to like you know take advantage of the services that you're offering i know you're a coach i know you have consulting i know you do some workshops and stuff like that where can people find you how can they get connected with yeah, you? yeah so if you want to see my ridiculous videos i'm on tiktok instagram mm-hmm. linkedin YouTube, all at the same handle, Jeff Harry Plays, J-E-F-F-H-A-R-R-Y-P-L-A-Y-S. And if you want to collaborate with me, if you want to address toxicity in the workplace and create psychological safety, go to rediscoveryourplay.com, click on the Let's Play button, let's hop on a call and figure out how we can make work enjoyable again. I love it. All right, y'all, this was Jeff Harry. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast was produced by myself, Jonathan Dumas, additional production help by the incomparable Lindsay Dumas, with music by the oh-so-talented Mr. Tony Deras. And don't forget to like, subscribe, share, and leave a review. It really helps folks discover the show. Till next time, y'all. Peace.